everybody, and welcome to the Spirit Box podcast, exploring folklore, esoterica, and the mysteries of the spirit world. Joining us on the Spirit Box is author and former paranormal investigator Al Tyus to discuss his book, Project Rabbit Hole, New Insights into the Supernatural. He has a BA in Ancient History from Rhode Island College and an MA in Military History. As a paranormal investigator, he's investigated over 100 public businesses, historical landmarks and private homes. And after realizing the reality of interacting with the supernatural and how it affected himself and and others, he retired from investigating hauntings in 2006. So he he talks a lot to the dangers we, we face when we encounter these beings and how we really need to be aware of what we're doing and what we're interacting with. Um, he has a stark warning for the YouTube paranormal investigators out there, and he backs it up with his experiences. And what we go through here is, you know, when we look at hauntings or what we think are hauntings, Al argues that it's not always the case that it is a haunting. And if it is a haunting, if it is a ghost, then maybe the best thing is to to leave that ghost be and not ask them to perform tricks for investigators so they can get those clicks. Um to paraphrase Al himself. We get into his cases and some pretty stark stuff, uh, hauntings after um, horrific murders, uh, dolls and toys hosting spirits, the dangers of paranormal investigations, as I mentioned. We touch on Nazi occultism, Maria Orsic, uh, how how spirits lie. Uh, We talk about the voodoo practice of spirit marriage and the the sexual interest that spirits have with, with, with human beings and the effects of iron. And we have a little chat about whether iron in the body has any influence on our experiences, particularly uh, for people of Celtic uh, lineage. In the Patreon section, um, we have an extra 20 minutes or so. And we talk about Sante Muerte, Skinwalker Ranch and Al's methods of protection against spirits. But that's for the patrons, members only. So join up if you want to hear uh, that along with witness accounts um, that we're gathering over there. In the uh, in the in the conversation, we spoke to how um, spirits can interject and, and cause electrical problems, um, things not recording properly, you know, footage turning to just snow uh, on screens uh, when something was thought to be captured, um, and we experienced some of that. When we had this recording, and um, we had uh, the obligatory audio problems you can hear some of it in the uh, in the show today you'll hear a little bit of it there's this there's quite a lot of feedback in there in, in areas and there were certain elements that just weren't usable in the conversation that i had to cut out so it's always a sign when you know you're on the right track that uh <laughs> things don't work as well as you'd hope as always, there's an open invitation for you to send me your experiences. I'll leave the links below, and you can either email me or leave a uh, answer phone message. Um, I'll also leave all the links for uh, where you can find Al and his book um, in the show notes below. So knock yourselves out. Okay, right, that's enough for me. On with the show. You're very welcome to the Spirit Box. Thank you very much for your time. 
Thanks for having me. I'm really uh, excited about being here tonight. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Absolutely. Me too. Well, I've just read your book, Project Rabbit Hole. What's the best way of kind of describing that piece to the audience? Um, just to kind of give the kind of the rough premise before we kind of go into discussion uh, around the topics of the book. I think in a nutshell, it is uh, don't believe things um, at face value. I think that's the first thing it comes down to. In other words, uh, when it comes to the supernatural and uh, paranormal and different uh, beings, entities, various things like that, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily what we were taught to believe. And we were taught to believe things because right now we just have to be in a particular place in time that fits in with our, um, our belief system that has evolved from the past and it's going to continue to evolve into the future. So as a result of that, you kind of have to get an understanding that, um, you know, what we call a ghost or what we call a demon or an elemental or whatever it is, mm -hmm. is not necessarily what it actually is. And when that comes, what that comes down to is you really have to proceed with caution. Mm -hmm. If you're one of the people that have encounters with any of these types of uh, beings, because they're not as friendly and benign as a lot of times they're portrayed to be. Mm -hmm. And I learned in my experiences that uh, a lot of these things are much more uh, complex and even dangerous than they uh, appear to be. And there's a big demand to get to know these things now, mm -hmm. but not to really know them now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like I, what I want to know about them is, is the sense, yeah. I guess, is that. Well, 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 certainly kind of, kind of unpacking that. I mean, thank you for that. It kind of really sure. sets the premise, but I think certainly to kind of unpack that and, uh, and, and clarify for the audience, you know, what your sure. experience is. So we can maybe give you just a little bit about your background. Well, my background was interesting because I was, I was really kind of fortunate because uh, I grew up in New England and New England, of course, in the United States is the oldest part of the country pretty much very very settled and still kind of has some uh, puritan puritarian ideas in a lot of ways and i grew up in a neighborhood that was a very first generation we had a lot of irish uh, french canadian italian uh different types of groups it was really a melting pot and i grew up hearing a lot of the stories about um the little people the folklore the fae and um a lot of superstitions that revolve around Italy and other areas of the world too. So I always kind of had a bit of a curiosity about it, but it really changed when I was seven years old. And the first part of my book is about the experience I had in an amusement park that's uh, now long defunct back in the, the great carnival days when I was just a kid. And uh, 1979 was a really big year for a lot of things for for me, it seems like psychically or whatever like that, because that was when I really had my first experience. And I was just a seven-year-old kid, and I was uh, at this amusement park, and I never really cared much for the dark rides that they have when you, you get in the car, and it kind of wheels around mm -hmm. in this dark and spooky big edifice, and things kind of pop out at you and all this stuff. So uh, I never really liked it. So I stood on the side, and I watched my sister, who was two years older than me, go in with my aunt. And I watched the car, you know, they're the kind of rickety and they turned into the, and it went into the, uh, the building. And 
And, you know, you just sit there and you just kind of wait and you watch the cars come out and you're waiting for them to come out and everything. And they came out, but they came out and they had a little uh, black girl sitting in between them. She was in the middle. And I just remember her just kind of looking around and, and that then my mother kind of laughed and she kind of said like, well, where did she come from? Something, something like that. And I thought that was really kind of odd. And I figured like maybe at the last minute, sometimes they will put another person in the car or something like that. It's not uncommon, but uh, when I mentioned it to uh, my sister, even now I mentioned it to my sister and she just says, there was no child in that car. I don't know. And she gets kind of nervous about it too. When I, when I mentioned it, cause my mother vaguely remembers it, but she kind of says like, I kind of remember that. Cause of course it was uh, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. but uh the little girl got out of the car when she was in the middle. So my aunt got out, my sister got out and the little girl got out of the car and she ran into the crowd. And when she ran into the crowd, I noticed that her clothes were not typical of recreation in the 1970s. She was kind of dressed like a, like a schoolgirl, kind of like how you see um, the young black kids during the civil rights um, right. era mm-hmm. like that. Um, with the skirt and the stockings and the the shoes and that. And she just kind of ran off. And uh, that always kind of impacted me. And I always thought that was kind of a a weird um, experience like Mm -hmm. like that. And uh, it kind of got me um, interested in in this kind of stuff. And and I kind of like looked at it as not really a passing phase, but Mm -hmm. as I got older, I saw a couple more of them. Mm-hmm. like that that were just as odd and one was a man that kind of like disappeared right in front of me when I was 14 mm-hmm. and I knew there was kind of uh something to this kind of stuff and when I got older when I got into my 20s I became a uh, paranormal investigator when I moved down to Washington DC right where I um live now and in, in this area and I uh had some interesting encounters because I worked in a building that was um, what I believe to be haunted. And I just remember this one case where I was stocking. Um, I, I worked in a stock room and I had this guy with me who was this older guy. And, you know, he was just not interested in anything to do with ghosts and hauntings or anything. And we both watched a doorknob turn and the door just fling open. And he just turned around. He said something like, I didn't see that and you didn't see that. Or something like that. And he just went right back to going back to work and, and everything. So uh, I just started noticing uh, things. And so I got involved in um, um, investigating. And I ended up doing probably over 100 cases right. in um, various, uh, various places. I traveled a lot through the United States. I've been to Ireland. Um, I've been to the Caribbean and uh, different places. And... I started to realize more and more that um, what I encountered was not necessarily a ghost. And a lot of times there were not things that I would define as a traditional ghost. There were other things. So I started to think to myself like, well, what does that mean? Does, does, is it something else? But what, what is it? Uh, So I started going back to my old way of thinking a lot with um, the elementals and, um, all these other kind of things. And I started teaching what uh, I call non-human entity training to the group that I ran uh, to okay. tell them like, you know, there are other things that we may encounter that are out there and we can't be as, 
as close-minded to think that everything is a um as a ghost you know we, we really can't be that egocentric i guess you can say like oh we're the only ones out there when we die and nothing else is out there mm-hmm. and uh i and then i started getting cases that were i guess you could say different i had an islamic woman contact me and she was being attacked by a jinn i had a guy contact me and he was describing uh his case and what he was describing was not a human um, spirit at all. Right. And then I started noticing a lot of times when people were um, going on investigations in my group, we would have things happening when we got home. We would, uh, and one time I had something in my dwelling that I actually that stuck around for a few uh, a few days until finally I cleared it out, and I knew that wasn't a um, human spirit. And I started asking myself, like, well, what the heck is is going on? So that's kind of what started the research with it. And I started noticing that um, we tend to have everything compartmentalized into what we think now. Like there are all these paranormal shows on, and everything is like, oh, it's either a ghost. Or it's a demon, you know, and, and a lot of times they throw the demon right around because they want to hype up the show, I believe, like that, mm-hmm. not to say that there aren't, there aren't demons, but they kind of want to bring a fear factor in. So I wanted to ask myself, well, where did this come from? Now, backing up a little bit, I started having my own personal things happen after I had a really bad experience overseas. Mm-hmm. And when I had my um, experience overseas, uh, I started getting physically sick more and more. Mm-hmm. And then I developed a um, autoimmune disease I never had before. And I just started seeing how my health was beginning to deteriorate and how um, I was feeling a lot more weaker. I was feeling sicker and I was just feeling like there was something really really wrong so i started doing research on this and i started noticing that a lot of paranormal investigators and ufo hunters and other people would um start having these weird ailments come up um cancer they would have autoimmune diseases they would just start getting sick and seemed like something was hitting the immune system and that was just something that i didn't look look at concretely but i just started noticing that could have been kind of a pattern. So uh, I wanted to leave um, the whole thing. I just, plus I was just getting so burnt up by the whole thing because by this point we were doing two cases a weekend. We were getting very popular. I was constantly moving with this stuff and God knows what I was like attaching to me and all this kind of stuff. So um, I wound up um, basically dropping out of my own group and I was going to fold it. And then I decided, well, I don't want to completely fold it because we have a great reputation and we've helped a lot of people. So I replaced myself. I left the group and I had another guy run it. And the other guy who ran it was having the same things happening to him that were happening to me. And then he um, started getting involved in these cases where he was saying, I don't think it's a human spirit. And I said, that's where I was going with it. And he said, I'm coming up more and more and they don't seem like they're human spirits, but I don't know what they are. And so we started having conversations about this. And the next thing you know, I got a phone call that he died. He had this very quick 
sudden um, death. And I didn't even get like exactly what he died from because the family were very quiet about this. Right. And this guy had a medical background. He was a corpsman in the Navy. And when he died, the last thing that was going on with him was he kept telling me that, oh, yeah, these, there are these things that are going on. And this is a really bad case that's going on. And he had one that he thought was a possession. Mm -hmm. And he had one he had where they had something in the, their house and they binded it up to their attic. And he kept going back to these places. And I kept telling him, don't go alone. That's the biggest rule that we have about this is don't go alone. Mm -hmm. And he was having problems with people like not showing up, which is very common and things like that. So he started just going, going himself on, on these. And I, till this day, I just think to myself that I think something happened to him. Right. And then it was other people that started happening too. Um, and I just, and now I can think of at least about five or six people that I know that were very, healthy active people that got involved in this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and they died and several other ones who just had real cases of misfortune either bad things happened to their families mm -hmm. or they ended up getting like going through really bad divorces when the marriages seemed pretty solid yeah. uh they would have health issues and things like that and i just started thinking to myself like i think there's something bad about this about going to these places and mm -hmm constantly going to these places and stirring things up or interacting with these things or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started looking at the history of the whole thing and how people of all different stages dealt with hauntings of various types. And I realized that we do things now really, really messed up compared to our ancestors that get involved in this kind of thing and how the whole ghost phenomenon is new it's very new um for us as ghosts as we define it so i wrote project rabbit hole really for um uh three reasons and the first one is to kind of go over my personal experiences and what i dealt with and why i left the second uh part is the research that led me up to my way of thinking about these kinds of things and the third part is basically the theories that i have developed that I realize now that um, kind of solidify my beliefs about the supernatural today and mm -hmm. how um, it's very, um, I'm trying to use the word, it's, it's, it's fluid, it changes a lot, it changes all yeah. the time, but <clears throat> the, the bottom line of this is that I do not think we're ever going to come across the evidence or the proof or the validation that we're looking for with this realm of whatever you want to call it, because they always kind of stay one step ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And if we think about the carrot on the stick um, theory, we're actually the bait. We're not the, um, we're not the one holding the carrot. We yeah. are the carrot. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like that. And I know that's a, that, that's kind of a big, um, thing that I just came out with, but that's, I hope that came out clear. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I, I do think you're, I think you're on to something with, with, with the book, you know, and I, I think it's, you know, and I really do recommend the listeners do pick up a copy and I'll, I'll, I'll leave the links in, in the show notes. But one of the things that really kind of stood out for me with this is your, your, your kind of your theme around the paranormal investigation culture and that, uh -huh. it, 
fundamentally doesn't have the tools to deal with what it's looking at and what it's going up and kind of poking the bear and then just exactly. doesn't have the tools to deal with what happens, you know? Um, and yep. like that for me, I thought was, was a really astute kind of observation and a really honest observation as well, you know, because yes. one of the bits that kind of that I was drawn into kind of uh, studying the jinn and, and kind of the, the, the tools within Islam to deal with, with jinn to deal with sorcery, um, kind of, um, malefic sorcery is that within islamic culture it is absolutely prevalent everybody knows this everybody's aware they're like well of course you don't do that the jinn might be there you know you, you don't do these things you don't you don't kind of yeah. speak these things you know you yeah. like uh, you are constantly cautious of the of the evil eye even even in like quite secular islamic societies it's still kind of in there and it's 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 there to a degree within irish culture you know irish mm -hmm. people will always go oh yeah you fairies whatever uh, but yep. don't piss them off though you know yep. you'll get that in the same breath you know you you have you'll have exactly. the modern and the ancient exist side by side in predominantly in western culture we don't have that and in that gap, how, what's left us is that is the tools to deal with this stuff. You know, we don't have vocational shamanism. We, if we have vocational kind of exorcists, it's through the prism of the church. And even they've only kind of the Catholic church that is, and they've only really kind of started talking about that again, you know, in the last kind of 20 years. Um, a lot of kind of the, you know, a lot of the, the I guess the, the kind of the the rawness of that world, you know, uh -huh. kind of you know the the kind of admitting to its reality has has been very challenging for societies to do. And I guess that comes out of kind of you know the empirical kind of what we came out of the Enlightenment and the empirical worldview and kind of all that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the scientific worldview that's been very kind of reductionists and you know it, it reduces our world. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's one of the problems uh, with it because they always, nowadays you have these criminal investigators and they claim they use science to try mm -hmm. to prove whatever is there. And I'm thinking you can't use science because you can't develop the scientific method with mm -hmm. these things. In other words, you really can't develop the hypothesis and then do the experiment and have the repeated um, Yeah. A plus B that you have with science and have a conclusion and write about it and, and those kinds of things because we don't even know what exactly everything that we have still is um, speculative mm -hmm. with it. Like we, we don't have, there's never been experiments that have said like, um, okay, if we use uh, infrared and we put it in the room, then it's going to change the activity. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any peer-reviewed public journals that would have even experiment or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah. so people really don't. And the other thing about it is, with a few exceptions, most groups that are paranormal investigators, they don't have any scientists in their group. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't even have any, um, any really real um, concepts of how the science would actually work, how to collect the data, how to, how to do all this stuff. They just mm -hmm. take a picture and if there's a squiggly line, they go, oh, I got this, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of how that works. So they don't have that end up. They have things like they use EVP, of course, electronic yeah. voice phenomenon, yeah. and they try to use that as evidence. But even with that, you know, you very rarely get anything more than just like a garbled up word yeah. when you get audio back. Yeah. And, 
half the time you can't even you know figure out what it is you don't have a conversation mm -hmm. like you and i are having where you mm -hmm. ask a question and the end to the answers and you ask another mm -hmm. question and the answers and it's kind of a back and forth thing mm -hmm. so it's still very much this big huge fog even though we have all these like cool bells and whistles now we're in the 21st century where we don't know any more about this than the ancient greeks did mm -hmm. and that's really the, the bottom line with it we mm -hmm. just um and and people just think they're going to find that um golden egg mm -hmm. um the brass ring that's going to make this all oh yeah i'm going to find this and and my argument is no you're not because we have enough Mm -hmm. of a concept that we're not alone with all of this mm -hmm. stuff but obviously these things are a lot smarter than we are and they yeah. always stay one step ahead of us mm -hmm. and they give us what they want to give us mm -hmm. but they're not going to reveal the whole the whole big thing and that's where i think that it kind of falls into a, a lot of trickery Mm -hmm. that gets involved. well you know it, it's it's like we're, we're we're always going to be outmaneuvered because you know fundamentally spirits don't experience time the way we do they don't experience the exactly. limitations of, of 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 the material world like we do um uh -huh. but you know it's it's like when we talk about these tools and understanding them it's like well actually really archaic you know almost uh, um animist societies have a mm -hmm. far wider you know view of, of 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 reality and see it as being a living thing some of those things are 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 bad for us some of those things are are, are okay with us you know but like the, the again the kind of the our the empirical mind assumes we're top of the food chain from you know from exactly true technology you know and it's exactly we almost can't process that we're not <laughs> you know, um, exactly. yeah um with that, um, there was a, a case you outlined in the book, um, Carrie G, which, you know, I'd say was quite a frightening read. Um, you know, would you talk to that? Yeah, uh, this, that was actually a really interesting case because if I remember correctly, that's the case where the woman was murdered. Yeah. And uh, that was a case where um, a woman was murdered, brutally murdered in this house. And she was murdered. In fact, the the murderer tried to kill her three different ways, and she just he just couldn't kill her until finally um, he had one method that finally worked. I think he tried to stab her, tried to strangle her, and I think he eventually I can't remember if he shot her or bludgeoned her, but it was one of the two Jesus like that. Jesus. And it was a really horrible. Uh, situation that happened not that long ago either. This isn't like 50 years ago. This happened, you know, it happened about a year after before we actually were investigating this place. And it happened around her young children too, to make it even worse like that. So, so the, um, so the guy who did, of course, he goes to jail, prison, and um, I don't know what happened to anybody else, whatever, but another family um, bought the house and this was an interesting family because for one thing, they had a lot of kids. And for another thing, they had a lot of pets. And they had, um, they had four kids, including a pair of twins. And they had about three dogs, eight cats, and all sorts of other animals all over the place. So, and the, um, they contacted us because uh, 
of some just some strange things that were happening. And one in particular was how uh, if the, if the parents got into an argument, they would actually hear a female voice. The father would hear a female voice get behind his head and just go, "Don't you touch her." And it really kind of freaked him out because the spirit in the house became a guardian for the females in the house. And I believe it also happened with um, a teenage daughter there as well. And they had all the other things that were happening where they had the footsteps and they had um, uh, the other uh, the signs of the presence. They had things that moved around, I believe. This, this was a long time ago. So my memory is a little foggy with mm -hmm. it because this was about 15 years ago. And uh, we were called to uh, investigate the house, and uh, we got some, um, and we got some strange things in it. We got some weird um, anomalies on film, and and one thing that I thought was so strange was there was one particular place in the house where, like I said, they had um, they had a ton of cats. They had eight cats. Wow. And this one cat, and all the cats, of course, you know, with cats, you walk into a room and they all like, boom, they're gone. Yeah. And this one cat would sit in one place in the, uh, the living room that was kind of like a downstairs pit area like that. And that cat would even, we were like, there were like five of us that came in and that cat wouldn't even acknowledge us. That cat just stood there and just stared at this particular place at the wall. Like it was like, is it a trance or something? And so I kept taking the cat. I would pick the cat up. I'm a cat person. And I picked the cat up and I would hold it for a while. I put the cat down. The cat, every time would go right back over there and sit and go back into the trance in that, that particular corner. And I thought that was um, very, very peculiar among other things. So we weren't quite sure what to do because we were still kind of new with this, uh, this case. And, um, a hurricane came through and I had a message about the hurricane that they actually saw this entity running up and down the hall. It was completely freaked out during the hurricane and they even described her. It's kind of funny because you think of a typical female ghost as having like a, a long white dress or whatever like that. And mm -hmm. this was a jeans and t-shirt ghost, <laughs> you know, it's, bringing it into the modern mm -hmm. realm, really. And uh, it just kind of went into a panic. And uh, they finally, we started to start decide on it. And she just seemed like she was so agitated that um, we reached a point where we called um, a medium in. Mm -hmm. And we called the medium in. And this was not just any old um, medium that we would pick up. He was certified by the spiritualist church. And he came with very high references and, and all this stuff. And so we brought the medium in and he claimed he made contact and told her to cross over and, uh, and all this kind of stuff and everything. And when it happened, I believe we heard kind of a slam and then there was it. That's what I remember. And I said to the medium, well, did she go? And he said, I don't know. I can't pick up on her. I, I don't know if she went or not, but I think she did. And then a week later, we got an email back from the owner. He said, Cass, Carrie says hi. And so she was back there again. And finally, we reached a point where it's like, she's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And um, fortunately, in that case, I believe that this was a typical situation of a ghost that had unfinished business yeah. and had to do something in that house to 
take care of things. And by this point, she knew what happened to her because we told her what happened to her, but she chose to stay. And uh, they managed to um, coexist with it. And the family did, did, um, did okay with it, but they knew that if there was going to be a problem, then they would always, um, they always knew if there was going to be an argument or something like that, they had to watch themselves because she would make herself known to a male right. if yeah. there was an argument or anything that happened. So that's, yeah, what, 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 it's a startling story. Really. Uh, it really was. Yeah, really and fun. one of the problems that I, I also had with that one was, um, I, um, by back then, we always had media that would contact us, and um, I never reveal anything about the client, the house, the location, anything like mm. that. And um, this, and the, the media were just so dying to expose this case. And I had a very prominent newspaper that kept contacting me and just give me the location. And I'm like, if I give you the location, you're going to go on the internet, you're going to know exactly where it is. You know, and so I just kept, and it really, um, and it really made me realize how much they wanted to sensationalize this. And even told the reporter, this woman's children are still alive. They're young. Mm. Does that mean anything to you? And the answer was no. They mm. just wanted to have a sensational story about about this. And uh, it was for me, it was the case that gave me the realization of this is that um if it's a ghost and i don't think all of the ones that we investigate are ghosts i think it's a lower percentage than you realize okay but they are suffering and people are kind of going into these houses trying to make them do tricks and um trying to make them like move things around or they all they want is like some sort of a piece of evidence just to get um just to get something that they can put up on their website or, or sure. something like that and yeah. the reality is is these were people that are suffering mm -hmm. and and i had that realization after that case mm -hmm. people tend to kind of think of ghosts as being a that that bit trapped earthbound or huh? that kind of you know just husk that's an energetic trace that's just huh? running through all patterns yeah you know, the story well, this you was a very intelligent, conscious yeah. being. And um, another thing that was so strange about that case, too, is that um, when we went to that house, mm. um, the people that lived there, um, that own the house now, they showed us exactly where everything happened. And there was even a, a part of the rug in the master bedroom that was cut out. Mm. And they said, yeah, this is where the blood stain was, where she died. Jeez. And it was so real like this is like a crime scene that's mm. that's going on here you know and and it was just like and that really that really was one of the biggest ones that impacted me through the um through my mm. career of this because it was so um firsthand mm. with mm. it in, in so many ways you know and and I, i'm just glad that i was able to have the ability to um keep a level head with with all of mm. this because it was such a a big thing mm. No, I, I mean I, I can imagine it's it's a, I mean, really full on, you know, full on case. Um, what I wanted to ask you about as well was um, through through the book, you you can you you look at some kind of historic cases, you know, and I know some of you're part of your academic background as well. Um, mm -hmm. Will you talk about um, the case of Maria Osik, if I'm pronouncing that correctly? 
or sick. Yeah, I believe it. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Could you, could you talk to to her and 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 the, and the the point you're making around her story? Yeah, that was actually uh really interesting. It's you know it was during uh, World War Two and. Uh, it's kind of funny because I just think like, you know, they're, if I get one thing wrong, the World War II historians are going to just pounce on me. But um, I'm going to go with as, as best as I can, um, as I recall it. With it. Uh, World War II, the Nazis allegedly um, hired mediums to try to contact uh, these beings from another realm. And the beings from the other realm were allegedly connected to the um, Atlanteans or Atlantists. And that was one of the big uh, parts about the occult part of the Third Reich. They had a really big uh, occult belief system. And Maria Orsic was one of their uh, main mediums that was involved in this. And allegedly, she made um, contact with uh, these beings and they gave her uh, at least two messages. And one of the messages was, um, they were both in code. And one code was understandable and the other code was a lot harder to decipher. So both times they, the messages that she got were kind of in code and they had to be interpreted. Very similar to the Oracle of Delphi in ancient Greece when you think right. about how the Greek priestess spoke with um, in riddles and then the, the people had to like differentiate them. It was sort of uh, like that. And they were really the, the plans to um, build these advanced um, flying craft that the Nazis would be able to use and uh, win the war with. So they really believed that they were making contact through Maria Orsic and a few other mediums uh, with what they called the Vrissa Society to um, get this extraterrestrial technology from these I don't even want to say extraterrestrial because it's probably more likely interdimensional, like something from another dimension. And they were making contact with these beings and they were getting these kind of plans to get these ships put together. And allegedly they actually were starting to build some of these ships, but they were kind of awkward and wobbly and a little bit weird, but they, they were actually on the verge of working through them and they never manifested into being the devices that were really needed to to win the war mm -hmm. and as a result of that i came up with these conclusions where okay so you're using these mediums and obviously she's getting some sort of a message because they're getting this message to make these plans and they're putting these things together in fact even with uh I believe some of the scientists that came up from Operation Paperclip right. even claimed that, yes, the Nazis did have this technology and they were working on making these flying um, devices. And these guys actually swore by this, but they lost the war. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting when you think about it. It's like, here these guys are, and they're allegedly contacting this advanced civilization that um, is supposed to be known as being like, some of the most intelligent people ever existed, the Atlanteans, mm -hmm. and yet they still lost the war with what they um, got through the mediums. And I drew a few conclusions from that. And one is that um, the whole thing could have just been a myth is obviously the first one sure. with it, but evidence kind of um, supports the alternative that at least they were working on something and there was some sort of a truth to it. The other one was um, 
that maybe the allies, Britain and um, America, were working on their own uh, contact with whoever it is interdimensionally, even though there's no evidence of that, I believe. I didn't come across any. And mm -hmm. they just happen to have the advanced technology to, to beat them. Mm -hmm. Or the Nazis were just tricked mm -hmm. into thinking that these um, advanced beings were actually there to help them. And they were actually um, tricked them into thinking that they were building something advanced. And it was all just a big um, scam on that, their, their behalf. And that kind of reflects that whole uh, trickster element that still comes up with, mm -hmm. with all of this. Uh, after the um, after the war and after um, we took Berlin, uh, there was no other word of Maria Orsic. Like she just disappeared. Nobody ever knows what happened to her. And now she kind of, in some ways, has developed like almost like this legendary status. Like some say she got smuggled to like wherever it is in South America, where a lot of the Nazis went. Mm -hmm. And some say that she actually ascended with whoever she was contacting and some say she was yeah. just of course imprisoned and killed although there's no record of them ever mm -hmm. finding her and some say she never existed at all mm -hmm. so um and that's one of the, the problems that comes with the um the occult thinking with the third reich is that uh once this kind of became discovered a lot of it automatically started falling under um folklore or legendary or um mm -hmm those kinds of um, concepts with it to kind of like, just say like, oh, you know, come on, this was, the, these, these guys took over almost all of, all of Europe. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to tell me that they were trying to contact aliens, mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of like this, it's almost becomes laughable for a skeptic to actually believe this. But, um, but the the the, um, the not the Germans were very much involved in different forms of the occult that came from um, the earlier occult lodges and the occult circles that came decades before that. Um, and Hitler had an idea about that, but the big one that that at least through my research was um, Heinrich Himmler that was really involved in the whole um, occult concept of of all of these. But uh, it is believed that they did use these mediums that were considered to be kind of almost like pure Aryan. Like if you see a, a picture of Maria Orsic, she was a very attractive woman, blonde haired, blue eyed, was not permitted to cut her hair. And she was considered to be like the ideal type of Nordic woman that could make contact with these beings because the beings themselves were believed to be of um, Nordic um, uh, to have like either a Nordic look or the, the a modern Nor Norse, uh, Norwegian, I guess you can say, the Scandinavians are descendant from these uh, people or at least have the same appearance of them with that, that Aryan kind of a look. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a remarkable tale, you know, that, that there, there's a huge amount going on there against that kind of background, you know, of, of you know, a world you know, the story of the world changing. And in there, there's, you know, this happening. Um, and spirits, you know, leading people down the garden path. Yeah, uh, again, you know. Um, well, there are a couple of things, if I can just add on to it. There's yeah, a couple sure. of things. Yeah. I believe it was Himmler who um, would go to churches and actually try to summon up the spirits of um, dead generals to try to get military advice from them. And there were a lot of these occult practices that were involved where they were trying to 
summon various types of um, spirits or beings, whatever like that, uh, just because they they just felt like there was a um, there was a big element to that, and they could use their military strategy with it, in addition to um, you know kind of uh, their own with it. And if you really look at World War II, there's a lot of really interesting um, paranormal occult elements to it, both on the American and the British side and on the side of the, um, the Axis. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is really interesting history. Again, I had no idea that that, that happened. Yes. <laughs> That's remarkable. Yeah. Um, so what, I'm saying what, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting in the book was the idea of new entities, you know, and, and I think that huh? it, it it also kind of unpacked nicely one of your earlier premises of that supernatural cohorts change over time. The behavior is yes. generally the same, but kind of the, how they are presented changes. Yes. Um, you know, we took on, you touched yes. on kind of the hat man, shadow people, and it, it made me think of like things like Slenderman, you know, and, yes. and, and uh, but also how these, some of these things manifest through technology in that kind of Slenderman, the myth of Slenderman happened online and kind of, you know, well, what was it called? I can't remember what it was called. Um, there was some, yes. some site it came from, but, uh, you know, yep. it, it feels like there's some sort of technological way of creating entities or, or tulpas through, through whatever mechanic is happening, but it, it seems to, you know, bring these things to life unless the, sh the shadow people are something different you know they, they they could be there's a lot of gin descriptions which fit shadow people descriptions there are there are uh but now it's it's kind of weird how they wear kind of modern objects like the, yeah. the hats they wear and and things like that and uh i i tell people uh i run a few different um forums and websites and everything and sometimes people contact me and ask me questions and everything and uh some of them, when they ask me about my book, they ask, they ask different questions. And I always say to them, if you're going to read anything about my book, read chapter eight. And that's the chapter where I do my best in trying to explain what's going on now and my theories and concepts about what's going on now. And that's either where people would actually see me as like, um, either I'm cutting edge or I'm a crackpot. <laughs> you know, and it's no, I don't think there's anything in, in between those two because yeah. I just kind of know like a lot of people, once they read that chapter, they kind of, you know, um, I think if it's like your, your typical ghost hunter, they've long since put the book down and they're gone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but when you get into like uh, people that are like occultists or um, enthusiasts or other people like that, that's where it's kind of like, all right, this is really something with it because uh they evolve and you know they evolve because chapter four is all about the history of 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 entities and themselves i start out with egypt and they go all the way into the like the um the modern era and i show how these things have evolved and the ancient greek concept of a ghost for example is very very different from the ghost we have today just like the medieval concept of a ghost is different. Our concept comes from the spiritualist movement that came probably around um, right after the, right around the civil war period in, in, in American history. Uh, that's where we really started to kind of get involved in it. And for the Greeks, for example, the same being that they, if they had some sort of weird activity happening, they would probably think it was a sign from Hermes or Apollo or 
somebody like that and they're like the selected one. It's, oh my God. And now you have the same exact thing happen. And it's like, yeah, it's the drunk guy that passed out by the dumpster like, you know, three years ago and he's trying to make contact. Mm -hmm. So you have the same activity happening, but the whole belief system is different Mm -hmm. now than than it was. And it's going to continue to go that way. Uh, With with that being said, uh, one thing that I've, notice because the second part of the book focuses a lot about um i don't really care much for the word aliens or extraterrestrials because my research is telling me they're interdimensional mm-hmm. uh and a lot of research is is going that way but uh i did a whole section on the gray aliens the the little gray guys that mm-hmm. seem to be associated with abductions and um I noticed a couple of things about them is one is that uh, you have very, very few cases involving them before we drop the bomb. And that's a big thing with it is that uh, before we dropped the bomb, we had the activity that was involved with them. We had stories about kidnappings, hybrids, um, weird sexual encounters between humans and entities. And usually they were associated with either the, the Irish she or the jinn or some other types of beings like that. But then we dropped the bomb. And when we, when, when we dropped the bombs, the, the nuclear bombs, and we started developing nuclear technology, suddenly these little three foot tall, very scientifically advanced looking and acting beings show up. And now people are being abducted into what looks like a spaceship or a laboratory or something scientifically based. And these beings kind of look scientifically based now um, because they say like, oh yeah, they, they look like very sci-fi like. And if they wear clothes, they're kind of like a jumper and they um, almost look like they have helmets on. And it's a very different um, scenario, but the activity is the same. So what I believe is what happened is the gray aliens are an upgrade that came from other beings that happened as a result of the cataclysmic dropping of the nuclear bomb. Somehow us discovering nuclear power either got something to either appear or evolve. And I call that the fifth element. Mm -hmm. So I call the actual, the fifth elemental because now for um, eons, we've always had the, you know, the, um, the air elementals, the earth elementals, the fire elementals, water elementals. But now you have nuclear power, which is very, very different from all of those things. And now I just think that these came from the development of nuclear power and they do the same thing that all the other things do. They just have a, a modern look to them and a modern edge to them. And, that, and they seem very, very interested in uh, nuclear technology because they, there are so many books that are involved now and records and everything about them revolving around um, modern technology and nuclear power. Yeah, and the ballistic missiles. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. W- one of the themes I think is, is there as well, and, and again, how the other presents itself to us, uh, depending on kind of what period of history is, what the society looks like, is it presents itself in a form of authority. You know, uh, yeah. like, so you look at that kind of the idea of advanced scientific, you know, a, a, a society, a culture that is more scientifically advanced 
to us you know that whole kind of motif of like you know advanced technology can appear like magic yes. to to, um, mm -hmm. to cultures that don't have it exactly um, but it's the same you know if you look up kind of like the the you know in, in people experiencing things we're going to fairyland going you know with the she like mm -hmm. the, the whole idea of the concept of, of, of the terminology used with them of like the gentry is one of the expressions in in irish culture but the gentry also kind of like it it's a tribute of ascendancy you know um and you get taken to the fairy land to the fairy palace that has you know all the kind of trappings of, of, a, of a royal place you know a, a yes. banquet like crystal pillars and gold goblets and all that kind of stuff and for kind of like, you know the, the 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 peasant irish mind that's a it's it's a mind-blowing uh it's a mind-blowing event in itself but the subtext there as well as authority you know it's gentry we you know we are yeah. superior to you within your own social structure and by your own more exactly and i think the exactly. has an element of that as well it's like we are more advanced than you by millennia by your own standards you know exactly because i think a lot of this stuff has symbolic language multiple layers of it but that's yes i think you know one part of it there and if you look at the uh the whole um, makeup of the particularly the gray alien if you look at the makeup of them they're still very much associated with nature like a lot mm -hmm. of people see them in the woods yeah. they see them around wooded areas uh they tend to do most of their actions around the countryside uh, remote cabins, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Mm. They occasionally have a situation where they're in the city, but most of the time they're kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, physically wise, their their physical um, makeup doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have any organs for, not only for reproduction, but they don't have any organs for a digestive system. Mm -hmm. And they don't have any organs for um, anything that would be like a typical mm. uh at least for a mammal, you know, to, to have like a, a concept of taking in and expelling. Mm -hmm. So I think that the um, actual image of them is a farce. I think that that's how they want to manifest to us. Mm -hmm. And that's how they manifest, like looking, looking this way. And that's a result of the atomic age that they want to have an atomic look. Mm -hmm. I, I guess you could say with it, and it's all kind of like went into the whole atomic concept of, mm. of things. The same thing about time travel is the same. People have this loss of time. They have to go through, they get bits and pieces of it in their heads. Sometimes they get pieces of things in their bodies. Uh, everything else is very, very similar to the, um, to the fairy folk. Yeah, no, there, there's a huge amount of, of correspondence there. There really is, you know, um, um, it, it, it's remarkable, really. You know, and you and you touch on the whole thing of like the like the black-eyed children, you know, which is tied into kind of the hybrid yeah. thing that goes on. Yeah, but there's an exact there's an there's exactly the same motif in gin lore, in that where a, a human woman um, can conceive a a child with a, a male gin. Mm -hmm. it creates a material child but obviously the material child is has half gin and part of the characteristics that it manifests as being half gin is black eyes like so there is like a, literally a, a specific motif within kind of particularly north african or um moroccan and tunisian in particular you know has the exact same motif you know um so these these things appear like the cross-referencing 
with aliens, um, cryptids, um, the, the Fae and, and the Jinn is, is remarkable, really. Um, That's that, why I think they're a bunch of branches all on the same tree. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, how I, I, so I look at it like yeah. that. Then they, they overlap a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem that people have is like they um, – I like I, – my regular job I do for a living, I, I do cataloging. So I catalog books, so I like to catalog everything. And that's – I tend to catalog um, these beings in a sense like that. I kind of cross-reference them to see what they have in common and what they don't have in common. And then I go through the whole thing. And then uh, you see how they are all very close. But then there are certain differences with each one that kind of um, separate them. Like a lot of people tell me, like Christians particularly tell me, oh, um, Demons and jinn are the same thing. And I say, oh, no, they're not. Mm -hmm. And I give the exact reasons why they're not the same beings like that. And uh, when I kind of tell them the reasons why, they realize they stop and they just go like, wow, I didn't know anything about the jinn. I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. that. And then when I tell them, they're kind of like, all right, I kind of understand it now because of the free will concept and yeah. how Jin have choice, particularly, and how their whole social structure is different mm -hmm. and, and those kinds of things. But uh, I've learned through writing the book how you can tell just by the way that certain things act in our environment through their paranormal manifestations, you can tell what's what mm -hmm. a lot of times. And that's what is, I think, missing with a lot of... Um, these so-called investigators, they don't, they don't understand what's, what's actually really going on. But if you really analyze it, you can see it and you can actually handle it better if you choose to, um, if you actually choose to you interact know, with them. You know what, you know, you know what tools to go for, you know, you, you, exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. And, and again, it goes back to that whole point of kind of, you know, that the, the gap, you know, in our knowledge, yeah. you know, um, yes. You know, in in our own spiritual technology, we, we simply don't know what we're in, involved with. You know, um, uh -huh. um, and and when you talk as well about the whole thing of like the, there's that bizarre sexual interest um, with with aliens. So again, it's the same thing with, with the gin and, and yes and the, and the yes. fairies. You know, um, yes. One of the guests we had on 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 Alan, on Spirit Box uh, was. Uh, Morgan Dahmer, who's um, a, has a fantastic knowledge base on on the world of the fairies, and she, um, you know, she was like, yeah, it's the exact same thing in the fairies. It's Lana She, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a type of fairy who is a predatory sexual fairy, female fairy towards towards men, um, mm -hmm. and you know, it's the same thing that that experience, it is an energetic drain as well it's it's just the, the same things when you hear about kind of incubi and succubi it's the same thing as is what are they getting from that that sexual yes. congress yes. and it seems to be kind of like a, an energy drain of some kind of life force drain of some kind um that's where we get our concept of vampires from but they yeah. don't necessarily go after blood they go after mm -hmm. our energy in various mm -hmm. ways what it, like they did again one of the weird things is I, I kept seeing these stories crop up in like I mean, to be fair, not the most salubrious newspapers, um, but like, uh, but but like quite mainstream, like papers talking about um, 
again, sensationalized stories of uh, women who are kind of, you know, I'm, I'm engaged to my, to a ghost. Now, that sounds awful tabloid nonsense, but reading through the article, um, what, what she's describing is, is, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a succubus or incubus oh. encounter specifically, you know, um, but it's very common. It's, it's, it's more common than, than people think. Um, well, um, to, um, I'm sorry to be interrupting, um, but to add on to this is that uh, in the voodoo circles, whether it's done in New Orleans or in Haiti or wherever they, they practice voodoo, a lot of times a voodoo practitioner will reserve one, they, they, they call it marrying a loa, which is like the voodoo spirit. And what they will do is they'll reserve one night a week and they will not have sex with their spouse because that night is reserved for the loa that they've married to. So what they'll do is they will actually, um, and usually it's kind of associated with the days of the week too. For example, Papa Legba, the gatekeeper, Mm -hmm. he, his day is Wednesday. So if a woman decides to marry Legba, uh, then she will not have sex with her husband on Wednesdays, but then that Wednesday night, she'll have a really detailed dream about having sex with Papa Legba. Mm -hmm. And that'll happen like very frequently for them because, and then they know that um, this is a night reserved for Legba. Right. So it's it's the same thing like that, and that's actually very common for people who have um, close relations with the Voodoo Loa. One guy I worked with, um, who actually um, is um, ex-military, and he was one of the most psychic, intuitive people I think I've. Um, I've ever met in my life. And I am usually a lot more skeptical about people who claim they're mediums about mm-hmm. things. And you know, a lot of times you have people like, oh, I'm a medium. And I did it. And he was like, not only was he very humble about it, but his whole family were very, very private about this ability that they had. And uh, I had a lot of cases that ended up getting um, resolved because of him coming on the case and figuring things out and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And one case I talk about um, uh, this kid who was 13 years old and this, I got an email from um, the, 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 his mother and she said, he will not go in his room. He's terrified to go in his room. And there's something in this room. And she kept saying, like, we're not those kinds of people, <laughs> she would say. We're not interested in this stuff. We're really not. We're not. But I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. He says there's something in this room. He will not go in his room. Can you help me? And we were really, like, their last um, – I think it was really – like the, we were, like, their last almost hope in a sense yeah. like that. So – this guy and I were the only ones who went to the house that night. And first off, this house was in a really, really wealthy area. It was kind of like, it was, it was, it was kind of like you walk in, just like I'm not worthy to be in this neighborhood kind of thing. It was just like really, um, really wealthy. And to walk into this house, it was like this big, pristine. We call them McMansions, like these these big kind of – they're not as big to be a mansion, but they're big houses. And we went to the master bedroom, 
because the, the, the mother gave us a tour. I met the kid and uh, we went to the master bedroom and you see like he has like a mattress and a blanket and a pillow at the floor of the bed of the master bedroom. And that's where he was sleeping. And, and I just said, you know, there's something going on here. This kid is terrified because this is not typical. Mm-hmm. So we um, went into um, this kid's room and instantly my uh, partner felt that energy that was going on in there. And of course, the kid wouldn't even go into the room. Mm-hmm. And the um, guy I was with figured out it was an object and it was one of two, two objects. So we ended up pulling two objects out of the um, the house in general. We went all around the house. They had three kids, and one was a porcelain doll, and the other one was um, a wooden horse, like a little little wooden horse that had wheels that they would pull around. That was kind of like hand carved or something. She said she got it from an auction, and uh, we took the doll out of the house. We didn't tell the the boy, and we brought him back into the house and we said can you come into the room and he stops right at the threshold he's like i can't go in no i'm not going in there so then we um put the doll back and we brought the horse out took the horse out of the house put it in the car and we asked him uh how about now when he paused at the threshold and he walked right into the room and he just goes it's gone it's actually gone and Mm. the mother is like he's back in his room Mm. and he's just going it's gone. He's like hugging us. Like it's gone. I just can't believe it's gone. So, um, so we asked her, we said, so what do you want to do with this thing? And she's like, take it, just take it. I want it gone like that. So we ended up taking both the, the horse and the doll. And um, we, she sent an email back. She said, he's back sleeping in his room. Like nothing ever happened. Profusely thanked us a million times again. And we never heard from him again. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I would have been able to do that if this guy didn't zoom right in on that object. Mm-hmm. And looking back at it now, um, there's, I wrote about this, but I didn't write about the addendum that happened or the epilogue that happened with this object because I gave it to a woman that I knew who was very well versed in handling hauntings, or so I thought. And the next thing you know, things started really falling apart in her environment um she her family was having a lot of more problems she was having a lot of misfortune uh everything just seemed to be going pot with her and something told me this horse isn't helping so i kept telling her send me back the horse and oh i'm gonna send it back to you definitely and then she wouldn't send it back right and every time i kept telling her that so and then uh there was a big altercation between her and her husband and then she just cut full communication with me so just last month now this was about 10 years ago maybe a little bit longer but just last month i thought to myself i wonder what happened to her because i was just thinking about this for some reason and i did a search and uh i found her obituary right she died and i was just thinking to myself like she died at 43 from a very quick body cancer And, and I just said to myself, like, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but this fits the pattern of what I was talking about with that. And I, I felt kind of bad about it, like, like that, because I was just thinking to myself, like, you know, could have this thing have caused this to happen? But we both knew, both me and this guy both knew 
this horse had some really, really bad mojo on it. And we don't know why or how or anything else. And I'm thinking it was some sort of a gin that was involved in it. Right. So um, that's kind of like two weird stories rolled up into one. Well, <laughs> you know, you know the, the whole thing about like people getting sick, you know, like, like yeah. you know, John Keel wrote about this in The Eighth Tower. You know, um, saying the same the same thing with people who who people who who saw stuff, people who saw cryptids, people who saw UFOs. They, they all had yeah. health issues, or or you know. And uh, Dion Warren, um, yeah. Dion Fortune also writes about it in the '30s. She published her book Psychic Self Defense in the '30s, mm. and she wrote about it too about how um, pe- uh, people into get involved in hauntings get very sick mm. and uh people with weak immune systems are the first ones to die in big time haunted environments mm-hmm. and i thought that and i just kept thinking to myself like there's something to this you know and i know now there's something there's something to this it doesn't happen to everybody yeah but it seems to happen to particular people well i i think you know there there there, there, there may be some uh, like genetic propensities there, you know, um, that might have have an issue. Um, and and to that point, what what kind of one of the things that you know, putting two and two together and and, and maybe getting four and a half. Um, I'm kind of looking at it in terms of you know, I, I mean, you mentioned iron in in, in your book, and yeah. obviously, kind of you know, it's it's a well a well trod path in terms of iron and and, and and the fae also iron and gin um well you made a really interesting point which really kind of jumped out to me as well about kind of how um pregnant women or menstruating pregnant women uh, young children are quite vulnerable to 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 um to these kind of forces again that exists specifically in fairies and gin exact same thing you know, young children yeah. are vulnerable, um, you know, change things in the gin and Lilith. Um, but one interesting thing you talked about kind of like loss of iron in, in, in the body through menstruation can increase vulnerability. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. It's, it's interesting that you say that for, for two reasons. There was um, a, a guest I had on, I think one of the first interviews it was uh, uh, Dr. Alcorn. And and so his work with the jinn, he said, why, why, you know, he was trying to, he was doing communication with the jinn via his partner who, who was a medium. So why do you, why do you hate humans? So what's, what's the source of, of this issue? And it was like, one of the issues they hated was, was for the iron in their blood. Ah, makes sense. But, but here's where it gets really like off the charts. <laughs> Crazy. Sure. Because I mean, let's, let's, you know, let's be honest. I mean, like, these are pretty bonkers areas when we're talking about kind of iron in our blood and kind of, you know, what this Well, not for us, but I you know, agree. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're <laughs> off the deep end for most people. Yeah, there. Exactly. Um, right. There is a specific condition which Irish people are prone to, which is hemochromatosis. And it's, they absorb excess levels of iron in their blood. And it's particularly unique to people of Irish descent. Um, it's, it's known as the Celtic curse, you know, so wow. there is an actual kind of like, a genetic propensity to having higher levels of iron in in the blood um i don't know what that might mean but there's some sort of correlation there um i mean it's it's related to to um 
liver problems and heart problems as well. But yeah, it's wow. quite a specific thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, as I said, I don't know how those things align, but it, it, it there's something potentially there to someone to unpack. Well, there's definitely a link to iron, and I tell uh, people all the time, if you're going to go to a haunted place, get some iron and put it in your glove compartment in your car, mm. or put some in your wallet, or something like that. But it has to be the pure iron. It can't be like cast iron. Right. Okay. Uh, that's mixed with, uh, I believe, char- uh, that's mixed with some sort of carbon, I think. But uh, it's got to be like the pure iron. You know the pure iron because it's magnetic. Right, okay. So, so you want to have... Um, some of that and it's it's just been very traditional that um they just don't like it in fact uh, i always keep iron under my threshold in my where i live now i've had so many times where i've had things that kind of um came in inadvertently mm-hmm. that i've learned i had to like completely safeguard my dwelling yeah so i always keep iron under the threshold yeah. um and then i do like some brick salt over it um too just to make sure that um nothing can get in and the windows then the um the doors and everything just to kind of keep things a lot more um secure and i recommend that uh for the car too like anything where it happened because i know now that um things have this big tendency to follow people home Mm. you know and it's funny because you mentioned small children and um a lot of times when they follow people home, that's their target. Mm-hmm. They go right after the small children in the house. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll go after a, a pregnant woman, but um, a lot of times it's, it's the kids. And I hear that time and time again, that suddenly their toddler can't sleep at night and they see something on the wall or something like that. Or just something mm-hmm. awful is happening like that. And it's because something followed you home and what the funny part about that is i'm digressing a little bit the funny part about this is that um nobody ever stops to question what it is mm-hmm. you know it's like you really think that this is thomas jefferson that followed you home from like monticello <laughs> yeah you know and I, I even say that to people you really think that you're so awesome that the ghost of like lady jane gray followed you back from the tower of london it's obviously mm-hmm. something else mm-hmm. but what is it you know and I try to get people to think yeah. with those kinds of questions. Well, I mean, you know, you, 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 you I mean, talking back to the, to, to the art stuff, I mean, I agree completely, you know, like that's, that's, it's that kind of analysis. And again, it goes back to being, not having the technology, not having the knowledge base that to, to, to understand or interrogate what's happening. Yeah. You know, um, but there's another thing with the iron premise. So you got the iron with um, with Jim, with fairy lore as well. But it, within mm-hmm. kind of um, Indian Hindu um, folklore, like it's it talismanic quality there as well. But people wear rings um, against Shani Dev, right? So it's protect against kind of uh, tantra, sorcery, or, um, evil eye, all that kind of stuff. But Shani Dev is is the the malignant influence of Saturn. So that's what the, the Hindi sense. name for, for that energy is. And Saturn and comes they, up quite a bit in your book. Yes, yes, it does. I always think to myself too that, um, and I never did too many experiments on this, but in alchemy, um, the opposite of iron is pretty much copper. 
So it makes me wonder if copper can actually draw things in while iron repels them. Mm. So it's kind of a thought that I've been kind of tossing around in my mind about, mm. about copper too. Even in alchemy, like copper is the metal that gets, it's the easiest one that's most malleable as well. Right, okay. So it makes me wonder okay. about that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I have a, um, I took some um, alchemy classes a while back and I just started really thinking about the, um, the elements that are associated with this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Al, it's been it's been a, a really interesting conversation, you know, and and I really enjoy the book. It's a great read. Um, Thank you, I appreciate you know, that. And and if people want to, you know, find out about your work or uh, you know or, or get your get your 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 book, where's the best places for them to do that? Well, the best thing to do is um, my my book can be found under my um, publication page under lulu dot com. Lulu.com, but it's also available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble. It's in all the major um, book distributors as well. Uh, it's in ebook form and it's in regular form. Mm -hmm. And that uh, a lot of times people contact me and they they ask me if they can get a signed copy of it, and uh, I'm happy to do that. But it's a little longer than usual because a we have this thing called the Rona, as I call it, mm -hmm. that's keeping us all like partially locked down you know so it's harder to get to the post office to um yeah. mail them out like that but uh i could do that eventually uh but if you just want to get your own copy of it your best bet is to just um get it on um amazon because that's probably the easiest way to um mm -hmm. to get it from um from there and uh i'm available like i i could i'm available in various ways like that um through email uh and through um, Facebook, whatever like that. I have a Facebook page called Project Rabbit Hole, and the actual Facebook page is the cover of the book. Um, actually, I was going to show it to you, then I realized it's audio. But uh, um, you can tell it's like a purple-colored co book with an indigo rabbit on it, and it's called mm -hmm. Project Rabbit Hole. And uh, that's my page. And uh, people um, send me messages on there, and I'm pretty prompt with replying back with questions, hate mail, whatever people want to send me. <laughs> no, I, I don't get that. But um, but anybody has any questions or anything, I'm happy to, um, to to answer any questions because the book does open up a lot of um, kind of Pandora's boxes in a way for the mind, and it's, it leads people into um, asking even more questions. Mm -hmm with it because it, it kind of makes people think it actually was really made me think mm -hmm. about a lot of things in, in our world. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, sure yeah, that was great. great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Al. Really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. Um, some fantastic insight there and, and some uh, remarkable experiences, really. Um, so I hope you all enjoyed that. Anyway, that's an, it for me. Next up will be Jerry Marzinski and we'll have Phil Hine um, again in, in a couple of weeks. 
So there's some great shows coming up again. So stay tuned. Talk soon and take care.